Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. Have you ever, have you ever heard somebody say, this is a must? Have you ever heard that? Maybe you've said that yourself. You know, you've got like all these things that they might want or that they might do or you might want or you might do. And those things are all maybes, but this, this is a must. I was, I was working on this sermon early one morning last week and, um, and I had to, to pause and load the kids up in the car and take them to school. And so I'm, I'm driving them to school. I'm thinking about what are the musts in my life? And I'm just thinking about that and deeply reflecting on the things of God and, and the must in my life. And from the backseat, Deacon says, daddy, give me that something. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, so I'm looking around in the front seat and there's a bowl of apples that his mom sent with him for a snack on the way. And I say, you want your apples? He says, no, something. <laughs> and so I'm like, uh, okay, you want to you know, drink out of your sippy cup? No, I want the something. And so I'm trying to figure out what it is, things you shouldn't be doing while you're driving down Walnut Grove. And I'm trying to figure it out to please this three-year-old in the back seat. And finally he says, the yellow something. And so in my console, there's a yellow pencil. And I hold up this yellow pencil and I say, you want this? And he says, yes, give me the something. And he says, that, you know, he's like 10 minutes of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And you know, if you've ever been around a three-year-old, here's the thing about three-year-olds, everything is a must. Right? There's no negotiation. There's no like priorities. Everything is absolutely critical, right? Okay, so I think part of growing up is, is learning not everything's a must. You, know, you learn to roll with some disappointments, you make some priorities in your life. And so you kind of realize, you come to this point where you realize not everything in my life is a must. I don't have to have or have to do everything I want to have or do. It's not all a must. Um, but let's not pretend that adults don't still have their, their musts. How, how many of you are married and married somebody with different musts than you? Um, and I'm not just talking about the way they smell, although Lindsay would say I have that kind of must as well sometimes. <laughs> you know, one, one of the things I've learned from being married and from working with a lot of couples that are married is what marriage is, is you bring together a husband and wife who have different musts, different priorities, different things that are necessary. How many of you have ever tried to buy a home with your spouse? Are you still married? Like that is a challenge to buy a home with your spouse because you have different musts. Things that you think are critical about this house. I, I, my realtor, like 20% of what he did was showing us houses. 80% was marital counseling. That was most <laughs> of the job. And so uh, Lindsay and I bought this house about a year ago and it was a real fixer upper, which was not on my must uh, list. And uh, Lindsay, the, the thing about the fixer upper is that we have different ideas about what's a must on the to-do list with the house. And so she, she has this, this thing about old outlets in the wall. So our house was built in 1970 and I'm seeing some heads nodding. She thinks that if an outlet is older than 10 years, it's got to go. And so um, I've been going throughout the house for the last year, changing every single outlet in the house. And she'll tell you, I've had the best attitude about it the whole time. <laughs> she says, change the outlets. And I say, as you wish, darling. <laughs> I told her I was going to share that last night in bed. And, and uh, I thought it was because 
She believed they were a fire hazard. And that, I mean, that made sense to me. No, she said, no, they're just ugly, Eric. Okay. (laughs) Every single outlet in the house. She's got different musts than me. So what a a marriage is, is you bring together these two people who have different musts and then they've got to navigate that together. What what do you think are the musts for a church? What are the things we absolutely have to have, the things we absolutely have to, to do? I remember this week in March of 2020. Now you'll probably remember this week too. At the beginning of that week in March of 2020, we found out that COVID-19 was maybe kind of up in the Northwest of our country. And so we bought some extra hand sanitizer for Sunday morning. By the time we got to Friday, it was clear hand sanitizer was not gonna cut it. Like we were dealing with something else entirely and Memphis shut down, the whole country shut down and we weren't coming to the church building that Sunday. I remember it happened that fast within a week. And so we were left struggling with and and wondering and asking as leaders, staff and elders, what does it mean to be the church when we're not gathered together like we have been for 90 plus years? And so we go back to the same scriptures, which we have based our whole life on as a church. And we have assumed, you know, and and this is true in, in much of the case of scripture that it's often talk about what the body does when we are together. And so we go back to those same scriptures and we begin to see all these things that God says, that Jesus says, that the early apostles say to the church for instructions when the church was scattered. Because of course, most of the early history of the church is not them just lovingly getting to be together, it's them scattered all over. And you may remember we started this Be Church campaign, which was, you know, if we're gonna be the church when we're not together physically, what do we have to do? We have to love one another, our neighbors grow closer to God and and to worship. And we try to encourage you to do those things. Those seemed like the must to us at that moment. And so we're, you know, we're two years into this now. And, you know, I, I already look back over the last two years and decisions we've made as a church based on what we think are that must, the absolute. And I would maybe do some of those things different now, two years in, and probably you would, would wish that we had done some of those things differently or that we would do some different things now. And, and what that tells us is that we each come to church with different musts, different things that we think this group of people must be about. But the thing about church is that church is this unique body, this unique group in the whole world, this unique group that comes together, not for the point or for the sake of your must, but for somebody else's, namely Jesus Christ. Like what brings us together is that there is somebody who says there are things we must do as his people. And so we lay down all the things that we think are the must and we pay attention as the body of Christ to what Jesus says is a must. And Jesus doesn't say that all the time. He doesn't say a lot. He doesn't use that word must a lot. But one of the places he does is in Mark 13. Now you might go there with me. It's also gonna be on the screen, just one verse in Mark 13. Mark 13, we talked about it on Halloween is this kind of scary, spooky chapter that is filled with darkness and suffering and trials that Jesus says the church, his body is gonna face after he leaves. He says the world's just gonna come, become increasingly dark, but there's this light at the end. He says, I will 
come back. So that's the light on the horizon that we're always looking forward and toward in this world of darkness. But he says, before he comes back, this is what I want you to pay attention to. Before he comes back, he says this. First, the good news, the gospel must be proclaimed or preached to all the nations. First, before I come back, the good news, the gospel must be proclaimed to all the nations. Now, <clears throat> do you know that this passage, and it, could you throw it back up on the screen if you don't mind, did you know that this passage was one of the most important passages for the early members of Churches of Christ? So late 1700s, early 1800s, men and women get together and they are absolutely compelled by that word must here in Mark 13. They wanted more than anything in the world. They wanted more than anything in the world for Jesus to come back. Their world was full of darkness and struggling and difficulty. And they thought the only hope for our world is the return of Jesus. And so they committed themselves to doing whatever it took to get Jesus to come back. And they sent missionaries all over the world. They planted churches near and far because they wanted to preach the gospel to all the nations. They wanted Jesus to come back. First, Jesus says, before I will come back, the gospel must be preached to all the nations. Now, let's be really honest. The pandemic was a learning experience for the church. It's been a learning experience for all of us. And if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's taught us that we don't always love the word must. Masks must be warm. You must be vaccinated. You must maintain social distance. Even if we agree with all of those things, it's just the fact that that word must is in there that we don't like. You know, we, we bristle at authority. Who, who gave you the right to tell me what I must do? And can I trust you? And if we've learned anything about through this pandemic, it's that we have a problem when anybody tells us that something must happen, right? And don't pretend. Don't pretend that we're the first people to have that problem. But how did this, how did this nation start? Oh, we must pay taxes on this tea? No, we're going to throw it in the Boston Harbor, right? You can't tell us what we must do. And that's not, those aren't even the first people. Look at how Mark, let me just remind you about how Mark starts his gospel. And, and then you ask yourself, if, if Mark isn't speaking into this distrust we have for authority, this question about who has the right to tell us what we must do. Look what Mark says. This is how he starts his gospel. This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the King, God's son. And then a few verses later, God speaks out of heaven about Jesus. And he says, you're my son whom I dearly love and you I find happiness. And then the first words out of Jesus' mouth are this. Now's the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and what? Trust this good news. You know, what's the point? What's the point he's trying to make? Mark knows we've got a problem with authority. Martin knows that we distrust naturally anybody who's telling us what we must do. And what he's trying to say is this guy, Jesus, is not like everybody else who's telling you what to do. This guy is the king. He has the right to tell you what to do. 
This guy is God's son, so you can trust that what he tells you to do is the best thing for you. You know, on his resume, there's just one reference, it's God. Like it turns out if God is your reference, that is all you need. This guy is my authority and I can trust him because he is validated. He is credentialed by the father. I can trust him. And so what I wanna do as a person of Christ, as a follower of Jesus Christ, is I wanna pay attention to what he tells me is a must. And what I believe is because he's got the authority and credibility, what I believe is if he says it's a must, then it is the best thing for me to do. His must is mine. And Jesus says this, first, the good news must must be proclaimed to the nations. Now, there's a part of us that resists it when somebody tells us must, but there are those times in life where you crave direction, where you just wish that somebody would tell you what to do because you don't know what to do. You know, those moments when you're suffering, those moments of difficulty and trouble, when they're just, you you can't figure out what you should do with your life. And you just wish that somebody would just tell you what to do and you would do it. You know those moments I'm talking about? I got a um, a call from a buddy a while back and he had been dating. He dated this girl three times and he was convinced she was the one. She was the one. Well, she, she broke it off. And then for three weeks, he calls me and he's just crying about it and, and he's sad about it. And how, you know, I'm trying to be passionate, pastoral. And after the third week, I just told him, buddy, stop crying and go on another date. And he did and it was okay, right? It, it, mental though, don't ask Eric for help when you're brokenhearted, right? <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. There are those moments where the world is not clear to us and we wish somebody would just tell us what to do. And that's the gift in this passage. Let me, just, let me just show you one more time. This is the most striking thing to me about this simple phrase, this simple instruction, first, the good news must be proclaimed to all the nations, is that it comes in Mark 13, which is this chapter that describes how confusing and difficult and dark and troubling the world is gonna be. And that's proven to be true, has it not? And Jesus says, hey, when the world gets really confusing and you don't know what to do, here's the thing you gotta do. I mean, that's the gift of this instruction to us is there are those moments where we just, we just wish somebody would tell us what to do. We wish there was an authority who would give us some priority in our lives. And Jesus says, in the middle of all that, all that the world is gonna throw at you, here's the priority first, the gospel, the good news must be proclaimed to all the nations. So his must is not only mine personally, his must is ours. You know, our leaders believe, our staff and elders at this church believe that when Jesus Christ gives us a priority, we better follow it. If Jesus tells us this is the thing you gotta do, no matter what else happens, this is the thing you gotta do. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna trust him and do it. And so you saw those videos of our missionaries right there. Let me, let me make this really clear about our missionaries. Our missionaries are not tangential to what we're doing here. 
They're not kind of this added bonus. So we're doing all these really cool things here, retreats and get togethers and hanging out together. And then we got these missionaries over on the other side of the world. They're doing some cool stuff over here, but this is what's happening right here is what matters. That is not the case. Our missionaries are at the center of why we exist. We have been cobbled together by Jesus Christ for his sake and his purposes. God has brought together all these people from all over Memphis, not so that we can have a party and just hang out. It's so that we can fulfill his must, which is preaching to the nations. That's what he cares about. And let me just, let me just give you a window into our missionaries. We've got this missionary. He sends us an update every month. And he sent me an email last month and the, the update was a day late, day later than he normally sends it, which I wasn't even thinking about. But he sends me an email to apologize for sending his update from the field to me and to our elders a day late. And then he goes on to explain that he's currently in bed with malaria where he's been for six days unable to get up. And he's really sorry that he was a day late sending the email. Right, I'm reading this, this email from this missionary in the jungles of Papua New, Guinea, Papua New Guinea dealing with malaria, which he gets three to four times a year. And I'm reading it in my air-conditioned office in Memphis, Tennessee. Right? And he's apologizing to me for being a day late. Right? You heard him say in the video that they're planting a new church. I don't know how many churches they have planted over there in Papua New Guinea. Um, dozens and dozens of churches. They're planting a new one right now. You know that we're, we're planting a church right now in Memphis, Tennessee, Oikos. I'm so excited about this. And we've got all kinds of challenges here when it comes to planting a church. You know what we don't have? Malaria. He's over there in the jungles of Papua New Guinea getting, getting malaria three to four times a year so that he can keep preaching the gospel to the nations and sending out others to do the same. Are you kidding me? We have these missionaries you heard from them. They're new missionaries of ours. When COVID hit, they got kicked out of their country. They're in a very strict country, required them to leave. Well, like me, they thought COVID was going to be pretty short-lived at that time. So they packed a couple things in their bags. They got their kids. They got on a plane. They left all of their earthly belongings in their apartment. Okay. 18 months later, that landlord is not going to let them stay any longer. And so they can't get back to all their stuff. So a few of the Christians that they've been working with go over to their apartment and they literally sell or give away all of their earthly belongings. You and I have had our lives interrupted by COVID. How many of you lost everything from COVID? And you know what they wanna do? They wanna go back. Not for the stuff, the stuff is gone. They wanna go back because there are people there who have not heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And so they wanna go back. Right, there are these holy moments in, in missionary work. I mean, you saw Jab baptizing in a river in Papua New Guinea. You saw one of our missionaries baptizing in, a, in an inflatable tub in a bathroom because what they're doing causes them to, to be at risk from the government over there spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. They're baptizing in, a, in an inflatable pool in a bathroom. Like there are these holy moments, but this is not a glamorous job. This is hard work. And so I'll tell you what, I take the responsibility for our missionaries personally. These are our people doing our must of preaching the gospel to the nations. Ours because it's his, all right? And so we're gonna take care of them, 
right? You saw in your seat right there, did you see this when you walked in? This little thing says in the middle of a miracle. If you haven't figured it out, there's a little perforated tab. You can rip it open and you can see. Let me, let me tell you, this just covers what we did with the extra, the excess, the miraculous amount beyond our goal that you gave last year. We started a new church. We're starting that. We gave some to Hope Works. We added support of another missionary couple that are in Spain right now who grew up here. We set aside an endowment for special needs ministry. And I talk about some of the things we've done there. We helped one of our missionaries continue his education. We blessed the student center at University of Memphis who's pouring into the lives with the gospel of college kids and university in Memphis. I mean, I want you to spend some time going through that, but here's, here's the thing. The author of Hebrews, he says this, he says, may the God of peace equip you with every good thing to do his will. And that is what I and what our elders pray over this church every day. God and father, we want to do your will. What is his will? It's the preaching of the gospel to the nations. That is why we exist, to preach the gospel to the nations. And the author of Hebrews has this bold belief that God is going to give his body, the body of Christ, exactly what they need to do his will. And I'll tell you at this church, he is, I mean, he has made some of you to be preachers and missionaries in your schools and your workplaces and all the places that you go. I mean, he has blessed you, he's equipped you to do that, but let's not dance around it. He's also given you a lot of money. He has blessed all of us. I mean, if we're here, he has blessed us tremendously financially. Let's be really honest about it. Why? Why would God do that? because he's got big plans. He's got big musts. And his must is that the good news be preached to all the nations. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray over you now. And um, we, don't, we don't have a moment, this is our life-giving Sunday. We don't have a moment anymore where we pass trays because of COVID. So you can give, it's so anticlimactic. You can give online uh, or you can drop it in the boxes as you leave. Here's what I, I want you to do. As we go to the Father, I want you to listen to the Father. And I want you to lean into this moment, into his must. This is the must from Jesus Christ for us. It's the preaching of the gospel to the nations. When we support our missionaries twice a year on Life Giving Sunday, his must is ours. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something that's kind of cheesy, my last minute here, but cheesy's never stopped me before. This is what I want you to remember when you give today. The, the Greek word for must is day, three letters, D-E-I, day. It's a little word that obviously has huge, really big implications for what it, what it means that we're the body of Christ, must, day. All right, here it is. Today's the day. They got that in the chapel. You know, today is the must, right? Today, oh man. I hope y'all give a lot to make up for that. Let's, um, <laughs> let's pray. God, we do think that today's the day. Today's the day where we, we lean hard into your must. What Jesus has told us is a must for us. What, you know, the reason that Jesus has brought us together so that you might be glorified as we preach and proclaim your good news to the nations. There's a world of bad news out there, God, that craves the good news of Jesus Christ. You have called us, you have equipped us, you have given us what we need 
to further the preaching of the good news to all the nations. Would you pour yourself out on these people? Make them generous, God. Make them gracious as you always have for the sake of your will, your must, your kingdom. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.